You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, church. My name is Stuart Sharp, and I am one of your church planning residents here at The Village Church. My family and I will be moving to the city of Boulder, Colorado, where we are excited to make disciples and even more excited to watch and see as Jesus builds his church. Our scripture reading for this morning is Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. The Bible says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Stu. Good morning, Village Church family. Uh, What a blessing it is to be able to assemble together to worship the one who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light and into his love. Would you bow with me in the presence of the Lord as we pray? Father, you're good. Your steadfast love endures forever. Your faithfulness to generations past, to this present generation, and even generations that are yet to be born. For all of those who put their trust in you. Father, thank you that you have given us your word to address the many concerns and issues that we face in this journey we call life. Would you open our hearts today to receive your truth? May we respond appropriately to what you say about us, about others, and most importantly, what you say about who you are. Show us your wondrous, show us wondrous things from your word, we ask. Father, would you forgive us for our sins and grant that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart might be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you open your Bibles this morning to Romans, the 12th chapter? I know he just read uh, Matthew, the 16th chapter uh, last week. I thought it was pretty cool. Ray Ortland read one passage and he preached from another. Well, in case you didn't notice, he's a little taller than me and doesn't have as a developed uh, six pack as I have. But. Those are minor differences, though. All right, all right. Deb, my wife, was seven and a half months pregnant with our oldest son. Our two daughters, Stephanie and Rachel, were nine and five years old, respectively. When we left the familiar surroundings of family, friends, and a church home that we'd been a part of, myself for over 18 years, moving to an unfamiliar place to plant a church. After many prayers and conversations with my spiritual mentor and father, all the right doors opened and at just the right time, 
for us to make the move and arrive in San Antonio, Texas on August the 4th, 1984. Less than three months into this adventure of faith, I found myself depressed, feeling abandoned by God, questioning what I had gotten myself and my family into. One day after several, uh, at least a couple of months of this uh, place that I was in, I became desperate, knelt at the foot of our bed in our 700 square foot apartment with tears streaming down my face. I cried out to God, confessing, Lord, I don't know what to do. Declaring my need for him, and in spite of my confusion and my circumstances, I was able to voice my love for him. It was then that I heard a voice, the voice of the Lord through scripture from Romans 8:28. And that became my life scripture. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. Instantly, something changed. No, not my circumstances, but my perspective. I knew that at that moment, to this very present moment, that God was sovereign. He was in control of all things, that he had a purpose for my life, and that everything would eventually be all right. Fast forward to March 2020. Uh, Most of you will remember what happened then. It was when the world was confronted by a plague of biblical proportions, nothing to compare it with in over a hundred years. Multiple, multiple, multitudes are getting sick, languishing in hospital beds, many dying. They're isolated from family and friends. All the while, political factions are arguing whether to lock everything down or open everything up, whether to mandate masks or not mandate masks, whether we'll have social distancing or not, and eventually whether we be vaccinated or not to vaccinate. For me, the most disheartening and disappointing things about the pandemic was not the political factions that were occurring that were dividing people, but it was the division among the followers of Jesus Christ, many of whom broke off fellowship with people they'd walked with for years. Some even left their community of of faith based on uh, the positions that were being taken regarding social distancing, masking or not masking, vaccine or not vaccine. My point here is not to relitigate the dispute over which actions were right and true or wrong, but to point out the fractured and broken relationships among followers of Jesus Christ. I found myself in a similar predicament to what I had experienced back in the fall of 1984, an extended period of what now I now call a low-grade funk or depression, wondering if the Lord had abandoned his people, wondering how we could ever be a light to a world that was languishing in darkness with all the brokenness and confusion that was in our midst. Once again, I cried out in desperation to the Lord, 
And in his faithfulness, he again responded with his word to my heart. And that was the word that was read this morning. Jesus said to Peter and the disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to I open up with that to, to plant that seed in your heart. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, will build his church in spite of what we see. You know, I, I've had conversations in the last uh, six months or so with people discussed it with things that are going on in the church, not just the local church, but the church in whole, as a whole. And my question, have you ever read the New Testament? It's all about the perfecting of the church, the maturing of the church. Let me ask you a couple of questions, rhetorical questions, so you don't have to raise your hand or anything. Have you ever found yourself looking back on the events of your day or at some other time in your past with regrets, remorse, shame, or guilt about how poorly you repped the Lord? I had. In a response, in some response to an interaction with others, it could have happened or that shattered the relationship into a million broken pieces, a relationship that you perhaps cherished? Or have you ever wondered how a broken relationship that was once vibrant, alive with love and laughter and hope for the future could be so broken and seemingly beyond repair or restoration? Well, Paul, by the Spirit, speaks in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, and provides foundational truths and practical applications for Jesus' followers on how to live in harmony and peace with one another. These truths and applications provide a means for more consistently responding in love to those both inside and outside of the family of faith. At times, the call to live in harmony and with peace and peace with those in the faith community seems impossible. You ever been to that place? Yeah, I have. Seated here among fellow Jesus followers today, we may have some apprehensions about living out some of these truths, but overall, most of us are pretty optimistic about living in biblical community and some even eager to jump into a small group which you should be. When we are devoted to living in biblical community, it puts us in close proximity one with another. Not the proximity that we're experiencing here sitting right next to each other. I'm talking about a different proximity. Sustained proximity eventually exposes things about us that we have been trained and accustomed to hiding. Things that are not usually evident in our large weekend worship gatherings where our average interaction with one another is probably less than three minutes. Some a little longer. Uh, Sustained community brings out the real me and the real you. You get to see all my warts, all my barnacles, all my idiosyncrasies, all of my weirdness, quirkiness, faults, weaknesses, And the real me, after a period of time, is on full display. 
You get to see if I'm sitting in a home group with you and my wife when I say something that she doesn't necessarily agree with and that look comes on her face. Come on, come on, come on. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what sustained proximity will do. And that's okay. The evidence that we live in a broken world full of broken people is all around us. So many broken relationships. Psychology Today says that 82% of us at any given time are experiencing a brokenness due to a broken relationship. That can be a marital relationship. Uh, That can be a family relationship, brothers and sisters. It could be children. It could be distant relatives. It could be on the job. It could be in the community. There are broken relationships all around us. I like the words of the song, uh, We Need Jesus by Danny Gokey. He says, we are all broken people. Not just outside of the church, but inside the church. The difference is that some of us have acknowledged our brokenness, trusted the finished work of Jesus Christ, and are on a path to sanctification and wholeness. Nevertheless, still brokenness. Others simply ignore, deny, or accept their brokenness as the way it has to be. Let's take a look at scriptures and see what the Apostle Paul has to say about these broken relationships. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. You might want to underline that in your Bible if you do that or highlight it. The mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is reminding us of the many displays of God's mercy that he has previously spoken about in chapters 1 through 11. Paul exhorts us in the light of God's manifold mercies uh, to be aware of those as we read or listen to the appeals that he is about to make. In essence, he's saying that God's mercies extends to us, should, extended to us should be our motivation to adhere to these appeals, five appeals that I'm going to point out that he is talking to us about. The motivation, the foundation of that is God's mercies extended to us. Our obedience is the product of what God has done in our lives. It's not manufactured in ourselves. It comes from him. Mercy is one of the immutable, unchanging attributes of God. It's always been, it is, and it will always be. Mercy as used in this passage is used to particularly of God's mercy. It is the giving of undeserved goodness and kindness or the forgiveness of those who do not deserve it. Can I get somebody to say amen? Amen. That's us, y'all. 
The ultimate expression of mercy is seen in the kindness of God demonstrated in the giving of his son to pay the price for our sins and making available the free gift of salvation for us. Those of us who don't deserve it, and that includes all of us. He in turn calls us to show mercy to others. Jesus put it this way, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. You know, I'm reminded in John, uh, the sixth chapter, I believe it is, when the Pharisees and the scribes brought to Jesus a woman who had been taken Scripture says, in the very act of adultery, she was doing it, and she got caught. (laughs) I read that scripture often, and I, I read the Old Testament that says that if a man and a woman, they both should be brought. Where, where, what happened to the dude? Oh. These were Pharisees, I forgot, okay? Yeah, so they brought her to Jesus and they said, Jesus, now you are a rabbi, so you should know what the law says. And the law says that this woman is to be stoned to death. What saith you? Scripture says he, he, bent, down, he bent down and began to write on the ground. And uh, they persisted in asking him, hey, don't ignore us. We, you're a rabbi. We need to know what do you say. So finally Jesus stood up, scripture says, and he looked around at him and says, the one who is without sin, why don't you get this party started? (laughs) Excuse me, that's my interpretation of it. And Jesus bent down again and started writing again. And it says, one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, they just sort of crept out and went about their business until only the woman alone was standing before Jesus. Jesus looks up and sees the woman standing there all alone. Where are thou accusers? Where are those who had an accusation against you? And she says, Lord, I have not. And Jesus' words, I mean, it, it, it moves me. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wow. She was, it was right for her to be stoned to death. It was right for the man who was involved to be stoned along with her. But the mercies of Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know, in my own mind, I sort of contemporized that and thought, what if this had been a trans man or a trans woman brought to Jesus? I don't think his response would have been any different than what it was. Go and sin no more, neither do I condemn you. That is mercy, folks. That is the mercy of our God, deserving of death, deserving of condemnation, deserving of judgment, and he sets us free. 
you know, we, I, I've quoted this scripture many times. It says, uh, give and it shall be given unto you good measures, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And there have been times I talked about that scripture in reference to money, money, money. <laughs> you know what? That has nothing to do with money, folks. Jesus says, as you judge, you will be judged. As you condemn, you will be condemned. As you forgive, you will be forgiven. He is talking about mercy and what we give to others. Paul lays the foundation there. And he says, hey, everything I'm about to say, I'm appealing to you by the mercies of God. Folks, we've got to understand, receive, and give that mercy to others. We've got to the same mercy that we receive. So Paul points out five things. He makes five appeals. The first one is there in the uh, passage that we read. He says, the first thing you need to do is to present your bodies a living sacrifice. It is an appeal to give your all in obedience to the Lord. Paul makes this appeal to believers who want to follow Jesus. The appeal is to surrender the whole of who you are in obedience to the Lord. You know, I like how Dr. Tony Evans explains total surrender. He says, it's the difference between what a chicken and a pig brings to a bacon and egg breakfast. <laughs> the chicken makes a contribution the pig surrenders all. <laughs> you know, we have not been called to a surrender that says, Lord, here's a piece of me. Here's a part of me. But don't touch this part. He's called us to surrender our all. And if we're going to walk and harmony and peace and, and dispel some of the brokenness in our relationship, we've got to give our all to him and say, Lord, whatever it is in my life that you want to put your finger on, that you want to touch, you want to change, here I am, Lord. Amen. Next he says, next appeal, he says, and do not be conformed to the culture, but be transformed. And this is an appeal to right or righteous thinking. If we are to have a chance at restoring and building broken relationships, Paul urges us to no longer allow the broken relationships uh, or the thinking uh, or ideas of the culture to occupy our headspace. We've got to serve notice on and evict those patterns of thinking that are inconsistent with truth, the ways of God, and our new life in Christ. We got to put them out. We got to evict them. Many are operating on old programs, old uh, programming of our thinking. And we've got to erase that tape and we've got to be renewed in our minds, the apostle Paul says. You know, one of the first scriptures that I memorized was Psalms 1. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He'll begin to flourish, and all that he does will prosper. He will flourish in life. But the key is changing the way we think, not walking after the ways of the world, but walking after the ways of Jesus Christ. We know those ways from his word. When we meditate on it, we read it. Oh, the, the, the psalmist said, your words were found and I did eat them. Jeremiah it says, it was, I did eat them and they were the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Have you got joy on your heart? Why don't you notify your face for a minute? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I told, I, I told one of my brothers, hey, man, pray for me, please, because I always get up, and every time I say, I, I, I walk away and I say something that I shouldn't have said. <laughs> Forgive me. But scripture does say that what's in our heart will be expressed on our face. Okay? Sorry. Let's continue to look at the passages. The third through the eighth verse of Romans 12. It says, for by the grace given to us, I say to everyone among you not to think of themselves more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Underline that, highlight that. God has assigned, God has done something here. For in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, another underlying grace given to us, it didn't originate in us. Let us use them in in prophecy in proportion to our faith. In service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What Paul is saying is don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. I appeal to you. Paul is here addressing the tendency of humans to be narcissistic. And he says, choose humility over pride. You know, that word narcissism was actually developed in first century Rome uh, when a Roman poet by the name of Ovid, well, it's Publius Ovid Nasso, wrote a story called Metamorphosis. And the story was about a young man who was just handsome and appealing to the eyes. And it's a myth that includes the Greek gods and so forth. And he was very appealing. And so they kept bringing to him young ladies, hoping that he would fall in love, but he fell in love with none. And then they finally brought to him a beauty. Her name was Echo. She got her name because she just echoed what other people said. Not a whole lot of browns, brains, but she was beautiful. And he spurned her. He rejected her. And so he was given a curse, and the curse was he was allowed to go down to the lake and look in and saw his reflection in the water. 
And he fell in love. He fell in love with himself. That's, that's, that's what a narcissist is. Someone who is in love. And you know what? As born into sin and sin stained our DNA, we are all to some degree narcissists. On one end of the spectrum or somewhere in the middle, some it may be like some, it's heavy duty. Okay? So Paul addresses this. He says, the tendency to compare yourself is what this is with others and always come out superior to the others. All humility, humanity is cursed with this tendency. Some, again, more than others. You are, and that is we exist, and you who are, we are who we are, not because of our own choosing. I didn't decide I was going to be born in that family or the other family. I didn't decide what ethnicity I would have. I didn't decide the socioeconomic uh, situation that I was going to be born in, but it was the grace and sovereignty of God. Narcissism will keep us from respecting and honoring the work of God in creating and gifting others different from who we are. Having gifts, he said, differing according to the grace given to us. So what's, what's the deal here? We need to understand the mercies of God as we deal with others, and Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly, but think soberly. We are one body. No gifts better than the other gifts. No individuals better than the other individuals. We all have our place. I'm standing up here today, but I'm fully aware that I'm not standing here by myself. There have been people along my path who have poured into my life. There are people today who are pouring into my life. There are people tomorrow who will be pouring into my life. And if I have anything to give, it's because of the grace and mercies of God Almighty. I like the acronym that someone used about joy. You want to have a life full of joy? Then it's Jesus first, others second, and then yourself. And we can minister to others. Paul begins to a riff with what I call a Holy Spirit stream of consciousness in verses 19, 9 through 13, sort of spitting out manifestations of love. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer contributing to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What Paul is appealing here to is that we love genuinely. I like the uh, King James verse, let love be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy. Not this, I love you because you're in my circle. Not this, I love you because what you bring to the table. Not this, I love you because of anything other than the love of God's been shed abroad in your heart. And you are imitating your father, loving, not because you're in my circle, not because of any other reason that God so loved the world. That was all of the world. 
I think sometimes we forget that he loved the lost. He loved the sinners. I'll never forget when, when the Lord chastened, corrected me, another one of those times when he spoke a word to me and just said, hey, it doesn't matter what you do or don't do. It doesn't matter whether you're good or you're bad, whether you fail or you succeed. My love for you remains the same. And that's the love our Father has called us to extend to others. We can reach out for those broken relationships to be restored. Listen to what he says. He says, outdo one another. And this whole uh, diatribe here is about love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Were you outdoing anyone? I was not a very competitive. I was, you know, they say white men can't jump. (laughs) I'm not a white man. But, you know, as one of my dear relatives says, man, I suck at all kinds of sports. (laughs) But you know what? You're going to get into a competition of outdoing me and loving you, loving the lost, loving the sinners. Come on, bring it on. Bring it on. That's what we are called to. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. And, and keep in mind, this context is about relationships and broken relationships. There are times when it just doesn't seem like anything's happening in those relationships. But the Lord says, rejoice in hope. Keep believing as Abraham, hoping against hope. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, love hopeth all things. We always have a hope. There is never until our last breath is breathed that we can't expect. And, you know, if we're going to be like our father Abraham, his deal was, hey, even if God has to raise him from the dead, I'm trusting God. He says hope, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. And let me tell you what, I know what a broken relationship is like. I know the mental anguish of that one that you love so dearly, having spurned you, pushed you away. I know what that's like. It says be patient in these things. Trust me is what the Lord is saying. And then he says, and be constant in prayer. Don't stop praying. Don't stop trusting the Lord that there's going to be a reconciliation in some of those relationships. And one thing you can do is contribute to the necessity of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Be loving toward those individuals. Final appeal he makes is for those who are outside and who may be actively opposing you. He says, bless the 14th verse, bless those who persecute you, bless them and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Another version says the poor or the outcast. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. That's a blessing. That's not, a, that's not something evil, burning coals on the head. He says, do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There will be those that we reach out to who will be opposed to us because we name the name of the Lord. He says, bless them, bless them, pray for them. Pray that they might know the mercies of God as you have known the mercies of God. Don't curse them. He says, rejoice with them. If you see them rejoicing, come alongside of them and rejoice with them. If you see them weeping, they're going through a hard time. They've, they've hit a rough patch in life and they're weeping. He's, he's talking about those who would persecute you now. Wow. You know, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians had come up against some opposition and he said, there are those who are proclaiming the gospel to add to my bonds. But Paul says, nevertheless, Christ is preached and the gospel is going forth. That is a heavenly perspective. It's not, it was not the, the culture thinking of his day. It was opposite. And that's what we're called to if we are going to have any impact on restoring broken relationships, whether it's in our family, wherever it may be. Paul says, I appeal to you. Think about the mercies of God when you do these things. These are the things that will uphold you as you reach out in God's love. I want to charge you today by the word of the Lord where you sense a nudge of the spirit in your heart as I touched on these appeals that Paul made or that prick in your consciousness or even that elbow in your side by your wife or husband or kid even. I've had that a few times. I, I, I want to charge you to just say yes to the Lord. Yes, to embracing God's mercy and extending his mercy to others. Yes, to surrendering, surrendering your all in obedience. Yes, to becoming a nonconformist to the culture uh, that would have us thinking the way they think and reacting and living the way they live. Yes, to a life of joy, that is making Jesus your first priority, others second, and yourself last Yes to genuine, authentic, non-superficial love. And yes to responding differently when you come under attack. I, I had a, an attack that came against me earlier this year. It was, it was difficult. It's, it, and even now it's hard just to think about it. My first response was, Man, that is not me, and I want it with all that was within me to defend myself. And to some people, I did defend myself. But then I, I heard the voice of the Lord again. It says, let me fight your battle. Will you be still? And I had to lay my yes down. I'm still laying my yes down. Because as I think about it from time to time, 
something on the inside that is not of God begins to stir. But when I think about the mercies of God given to me, a sinner deserving of death, deserving of eternal separation from the Lord. But God had mercy on me. How can I do any less than have mercy on those in whom, with whom I've had a relationship and it's broken? The end of it is that God and the heaping of coals on the fire, again, that was an act of mercy helping those individuals to warm their homes. And that's what the Lord's called us to do. Will you bow with me? Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, the God of all grace, the God of all mercy. Father, thank you that you are who you are. You do what you do. Your word tells us that you will have mercy on whom you will have mercy. Father, so grateful that you have chosen us and you have shown your mercy to us. Lord, many of us have relationships that have been strained, that have been broken. And Lord, our heart aches over those relationships. Inside and outside of our family of faith, so, Father, would you help us to say yes to you, to say yes to all of the appeals that you have made to us today. May we be ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation because you have taken the initiative to reconcile us to yourself. This we pray and we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.